You are now listening to EPT Podcast, an ongoing series of conversations with field experts in electronics design and engineering. This podcast is being presented by EPT Magazine, Canada's information leader for the electronics industry. I'm your host, Stephen Law, editor of EPT Magazine. Hello and welcome to this podcast, which includes a conversation with Al Roy Almeida, CEO and co-founder of Volterra. Headquartered in the Kitchener-Waterloo region of Ontario, Volterra provides some pretty cool tools to product developers, researchers, and educators from all over the world. Namely, the firm created a printed circuit board printer that fits right on your desktop, ideal for prototyping and achieving a super speedy turnaround in product design. These PCB printers can take an idea in your head to a PCB board in your hands in minutes. Alroy, welcome to the podcast. I'm hoping that you're able to share with our listeners where you were at when you got this brainchild of creating such a device. Did it relate to your educational background and or your early job experience? Let me start by saying uh, thanks for having me, Steve. This is uh, a pleasure on, on my part for sure. Um, and yeah, uh, that that uh, that introduction was spot on. And uh, it certainly uh, did spawn from struggles uh, we had ourselves, uh, all my business partners and I all have experience in developing boards and prototyping and debugging and, and getting new products out to market. And it was always a, it was always a pain uh, in order to, to get through the electronics development cycle. So just to rewind a little bit over here, we had the brainchild back in... 2012-2013 timeframe, and and that was just uh you know in the peak or in the kind of tail end of the uh, desktop 3D printing craze, and we had experience using those kind of 3D printers, and we're like, oh, this is awesome, but we do more work on the electronic side. Where's where's our rapid prototyping tool? Where's our ability to just uh you know download a file or something and upload it to this printer and and press print? Uh, and certainly when we looked over to the software development side man, you know, you just press compile and, and the output is instantly available to you. Um, meanwhile, we were, you know, working at a variety of companies and uh, we'd send a board off to a, a factory, usually overseas, sometimes local. And uh, we'd have to then just sit there twiddling our thumbs, waiting for the FedEx truck to arrive. And I certainly have heard stories of people getting boards, having having them arrive from the factory and saying, you know, signing off from it, for, for it uh, with the with the carrier, and then walking over to the garbage can and, and dumping it straight in, uh, because even in the the week it took to arrive, uh, the design was obsolete and they had another another order already placed. Yeah, certainly we we had similar similar experiences. We worked at, uh, I mean, my background specifically is in. I did a lot of uh, industrial electronics. Uh, ruggedized equipment, uh, communication equipment, things like that. Um, did a little bit of medical device um, work as well. And in all of those instances, yeah, it was um, that that pain point of uh, having to wait for boards um, and the customer changing their mind or management changing their mind or hitting some other technical snag. And, you know, sometimes it's not even in the development process. Sometimes you can have a, a device that is you know, been out in market for a while. I remember this one time 
we, I was working at a company that we made uh, remote telemetry devices. So basically these, these units that would sit in a variety of areas in factories and, and collect data and report it back to uh, like a, a base station where, you know, in some sort of control room, measuring things like temperature and flow rates and, and all sorts of stuff. And we had a customer that had dozens of these uh, specific sensors out in their facility. And they all started going haywire at the same time. And we had to basically have them ship them all back figure out what was going on, realize that there was some uh, issue with some of the chips that we were using, had to bring in a replacement chip, had to test just that, you know, sub-module by itself. Uh, but in order to test that sub-module, I had to go get board spun and, and all of that. And then when we finally did have a fix, once again, had to wait for boards to get spun instead of just being able to give them something even temporary. That would have been fantastic for them, right? Like, you know, it's a bit of a pain in the neck to have to put a temporary solution in and then go back and change it again. But it beats not having that data collected. It beats your, you know, your, your production lines or, you know, whatever facility you're in uh, being down. So yeah, tons of applications where we've uh, stumbled upon where quick turn on boards, uh, a turn where it is right there on your desk, you're in control, you have all the control and flexibility. Yeah. A lot of uh, interesting applications of uh, how our customers are using uh, that new power that we're giving them. Okay. Uh, obviously, we're talking about the V1, which is the signature printed circuit board printer device that you guys created. Did you have any early uh, setbacks or surprises in the creation of that uh, unit, uh, the original? Oh, man. Um, well, so first of all, it's funny how you run into the problem you're trying to solve while you're trying to solve the problem. So we were a, you know, a small startup, just the, the four of us that started the company, and we were trying to figure out, all right, how do we how do we make the electronics that, that need to go into our device? We, we don't have the, the money or the time really at that point to, to go get sports spun. So we were working out of a shared facility and uh, you know, like a, a whole bunch of different companies in there. And then after hours, we'd go into one of the bathrooms and start etching boards in the bathroom because that's the only way we could get things done quickly and inexpensively. And what a, what a pain in the neck that process is, let me tell you. And so, yeah, it, you know, it's, like I said, uh, sometimes you, you run into the problem you're trying to solve. And so that was certainly a big portion of it. Um, and then on the other side, you know, we're, the way our machine works is, you know, like you said, it's a printer. And um, what we're printing is not, you know, your black ink, your, you know, like your, your standard kind of toner style. Uh, what we're, we're printing is a conductive ink. So it's got a high metal content. And once you deposit the material, you have to uh, cure it. Uh, there's a variety of ways of doing that. We do it thermally. And once you once it's cured, it leaves behind just kind of metal uh, that that is conductive, that's solderable. You know, we're we're verging on the material science side of things here, right? And especially in the early days of the company, we had we had no idea what we were uh, we were doing. Thankfully, one of our one of our business partners, she has a material science background, and we continue to hire exceptionally talented people on that front as well. And um, slowly ventured into this world of of uh, conductive inks and uh, nanoparticles and and you know metal flakes and all these different uh, things in order to get uh, a product that, like I said, is is conductive, is solderable, is representative of what you would get from a factory. Now, it's not representative in, in every sense, but it is good enough for that early prototyping stage, right? And when we first started the company, we spoke to material science experts, electronics experts, and they all told us, you know, just give up, go get another job. This is what, you, what you're trying to, like the spec that you're trying to hit here is not possible. Um, and then, 
just through some stubbornness and ignorance probably uh we kind of kept at it and and came up with some uh, outside the box uh, solutions to these problems but uh it certainly has been a uh incredible journey um and and some you know very innocuous decisions we made in terms of what kind of materials and things like that have opened up doors for us that we had never uh imagined at, uh, at the time of those decisions so right. so once you had the bugs out of your first design iteration who were your first customers for these pcb making devices you know, we, we took the first two years to develop the technology. Like I said, a lot on this material science side, a lot on, uh, you know, we moved the entire company to China um, and we were, you know, learning how to manufacture the product, uh, ended up coming back and we, we brought most of our, um, most of our custom manufacturing back to Southern Ontario. Um, but it took us a long time to, to set all those things up and, and do the R&D, right? And around, 2015, I believe it was when we finally launched the product a couple of years after starting the company. And um, like many hardware companies at that time, we did a, a Kickstarter campaign. Um, and it was at that point, one of the largest Kickstarters in Canada. And, you know, we got a lot of the kind of customers that you would expect from that sort of platform. So a lot more on the on the hobbyist maker side since since then. And, and you know, we're incredibly thankful for 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 those people to to take a, a a chance on us and to and to use use the technology and give us so much incredible feedback that's been incorporated since then, but uh, over time our our product has transitioned more and more and more into uh, well there's three major markets we sell into one is uh, you know product developers at at various companies from uh, tiny ones all the way up to some of the largest companies in the world uh, we sell a lot into research whether that's happening within kind of university settings, private settings, government settings, uh, and education as well. Um, a lot of colleges, universities, but even even high schools. And so, yeah, it's um, that's sort of where we've uh, where we've landed. So some of these are major OEMs, electronic OEMs, and contract manufacturers as well. Yeah. So I mean, if I name some of the, unfortunately, I can't name the the, the companies that we that we sell to, but I could probably list couple dozen, maybe a hundred or so that everybody would know. So very, very, very kind of uh, prominent brands, uh, very prominent universities that we, we've sold to as well. On the uh, on the manufacturing side, you know, there, there certainly has been uh, a factory or two that has purchased our, our equipment uh, just to do some quicker turn uh, work. Uh, that's not as popular uh, right now, um, but we've got some stuff kind of brewing in the background and in the next few years, we'll be able to cater to their needs a little bit better as well. But uh, especially since the product, you know, not only does it print the boards, um, but it can also dispense solder paste. It can also reflow uh, your components on. There's a lot of demand for using that, especially that solder paste and reflow functionality. Some people use it for boards that they printed on our device. Some people get their boards fabbed at a factory and then just use our tool in-house to uh, just to populate. And, you know, certainly we have sold to people that they only bought it for that. They're like, oh no, I'll just use the, the factories and I'll, I'll, I'll populate with you. But over time, we always see them, well, you know, we have the ability to print. Why don't we give that a shot? And then, you know, they start using kind of all aspects of the machine as well. How long does it take to make a board? That's a great question. Um, I mean, it's, it's highly dependent based on um, how complex uh, the circuit is, but I, I try to give like a 
an average board and like, what, okay, what would an average board be? So uh, something that a lot of people are familiar with would be uh, like the Arduino platform. So like an Arduino Uno board, something like that would take, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes to print. And then there's a uh, 30 minute uh, cure uh, after that. So within an hour, you can have something that's, uh, that's printed uh, and then populating it uh, doesn't take uh, much more time uh, Especially since you know it dispenses the solder exactly where you need it, you you don't you're not fiddling with stencils and squeegeeing solder base or anything like that. You're not hand soldering, especially with uh, some very fiddly tiny components. I'm sure everybody listening to this knows how components are just getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And I've 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 sat there and I've been told at companies that I've worked at that were that were less properly equipped to like solder. 0201, 0402 passives with like spade tip soldering irons, not a thing I would recommend, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it can certainly cut a lot of time out of your your uh, early development cycle. Hmm. Can the V1 unit actually make vias and through holes? Yeah, yeah, so that's, um, that's something that, uh, um, like I said earlier, our early customers told us, hey, you know, I need to, you know, Initially, the product was only for single-sided boards, uh, and they said, "No, like guys, come on, we need at least double-sided." And so we we started uh, uh, development uh, of a of a drill attachment. Uh, released that a couple of years after the initial product, uh, and so now, yeah, all of our all of our machines ship with the ability to drill through holes, to drill vias, and then uh, yeah, we can uh, print and populate uh, double-sided boards on, on the machine now. Hmm. What is the print area of the V1 and can it print more than two layers? So print area is about four inches by five inches. And um, the in terms of layer count, it's it's just the, the two two layer boards for now. The manufacturing technology that we that we use, you know, it's it's an additive technology. And so uh, building up layers, uh, it's 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 certainly something that we're always playing around with. Um, but it is a uh, from a Material science perspective, from a machine control perspective, it's a it's a trickier problem to solve than uh, you think. It's it's always on on our board of uh, of things that we're kind of constantly working on in the background. Mm -hmm. and you mentioned the complexities that the shrinking size of a componentry is having with you know anyone creating a prototype today. Does the V1 actually have a pick and place uh, capability? Mm -hmm. Asking all the right questions. This is uh, this is another thing that's come up uh, time and time again with uh, with our customers. As uh, hey, you know, it'd be really handy to to do this. Um, right now, we we don't offer any pick and place functionality because once again, remember this this tool is for building low volume circuit boards, right? You know, your onesies, twosies, uh, maybe five or ten boards at, at at the most. If we were to build some sort of system that allowed you to set up, you know, set up reels and, and program all that, like it would just become, you'd spend more time in the setup phase and the programming phase for the pick and place than you would actually in, if you just grabbed a set of tweezers and, and populate it yourself. Um, so that's why in terms of population, we dispense the solder, or we do the reflow, just that middle step of placing the components. That's not something that we offer at this time. But uh, uh, once again, you keep, you keep pointing out all the things that we're, obviously thinking about and, 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 and working on in the background. Yeah, well, I imagine you have to, to uh, evolve the product itself. On the yeah. subject of substrates, like how thick of a substrate can you, uh, a customer use on, on the V1 platform? On the V1, the maximum uh, thickness of a substrate is three millimeters. Um, so we, we, you know, all of our machines ship with 
you know, cartridges of ink, cartridges of solder paste, uh, and blank boards. Uh, we offer FR1 and FR4 boards, um, and those are they're less than than three millimeters. But if you if you had a, a slightly thicker board, that's completely uh, compatible as well. Yeah. What about design limitations? Is it easy to use? Is there training required to operate it? Is there supporting software? And if so, how simplistic is that to uh, work in, in complicity with the unit? Yeah, um, so something that we've, we've always said is that um, we're gonna be design tool agnostic. So it doesn't matter if you're uh, creating your, your circuits in, uh, in Altium, in Eagle, in Pads, in Orcad, and in any of these sort of tools, everybody exports to Gerber. That's the standard. Now, with as with every standard, nobody follows the standard properly. Uh, so there's a lot of work that we've done on our side in order to understand. Okay, this this Gerber file was um, was exported from such and such tool, which means that we need to adjust the the our um, basically our software is. It's CAM software, right? So it takes the input file and uh, and it uh, creates the machine code for the machine to operate. Um, so there's some there's some compensation we need to do depending on uh, on um, what style of Gerber it is. Uh, but then uh, it's then you just press uh, press print. There's a few calibration steps that you have to go through and and just make sure that the, the machine knows where you're trying to print, what you're trying to print, and all that. Uh, and then yeah, you can hit print, go grab a coffee, come back to the next side um it's um you know when we when we initially were going through the design process something that we felt very very strongly with was you know we we've used lab equipment within the last decade that i kid you not like runs on command line interfaces um and that's that's just unacceptable in our eyes uh, these days so yeah, the machine itself has got one button it turns it on uh the the uh, all the print um uh, the printheads snap on and off the machine magnetically. Um, the software, it feels more like an app on your phone than than some of these other lab equipment um, software that we've used, like I mentioned. Um, and when we were going through the the design process, we literally would call you know our our partners in, we'd call kids in, we'd call our our mothers in, and we had everybody use the software because if uh, if it's easy enough. For them to use and they can follow the instructions and you know that's we've looked a lot into kind of user experience and psychology and things like that as well so we've got you know written instructions along one side of the screen we've got video based and, and image based instructions along the other side of the screen um so it doesn't matter how you absorb information you should be at every single step you should know exactly what you need to do um and the software kind of guides you through all of it so um exceptionally exceptionally proud of the, the work that we've done on, on that part in order to uh to make it as simple to use as possible now that being said it's still lab equipment you know there's uh, a complex you're trying to manufacture something but um it's something that we take a lot of pride in for sure yeah. Describe to me, I mean, you touched on uh, right from the beginning here in our, our chat, but the importance prototyping plays in the process of creating a new product introduction or an NPI, as they say in your field. Uh, yeah. it, it's everything, right? So um, being able to turn something around in literally minutes, what, and you must hear from your own customers um, how much of a game changer this is. Maybe you can share with us uh, how uh, the impact of that turnaround time in the whole NPI process. Yeah, I mean, so first of all, like I mentioned right off the top, there there are times that you don't even need it in NPI. You just need temporary boards. You need uh, test jigs, assembly jigs. Um, sometimes you're developing a product 
that's never going to be mass manufactured and you only need a couple of them for the product you're developing, right? But the vast majority of what of what our customers are doing with it is that um, you know product development NPI stuff that you that you mentioned, and what we always tell them is this machine will allow you to move faster, right? That's that's the main the main benefit that we, we give people is that agility to to prototype faster. But what we often find happening is that the the net amount of time that you spend prototyping actually stays uh, somewhat the same. You're just doing more iterations. You're doing, you're fitting more spins of your of your design within the same amount of time, which is going to lead to a better product. It's going to lead to more bugs being caught now, as opposed to when it's in production. It's going to be uh, result in a more robust design. It's going to be th- uh, result in a more thought out design, and it, it's it's putting in the work up front to to save yourself so much time down the road, right? So there's there's certainly uh, we hear from customers talking about how uh, that aspect is incredibly valuable to them. And then something else that we've uh, we've heard a lot recently, um, we're starting to see more and more uh, startups start to adopt our our technology here, um, and you know I've been there. I know, like I, I, I already talked to you about the, the struggles that we had. And when you're when you're such a, a small company, you don't uh, you you don't have money, but you also don't have time. Um, and you don't have time because you don't have money. The, the clock is ticking uh, in terms of what you can get done before your bank account hits zero, right? So you want to move as quickly as possible. And, you know, there's uh, just, when was it a week or two ago, we were, um, we heard from a Toronto-based startup that uh, launched like an Indiegogo campaign for this uh, amazing new technology that they've been developing. And their entire video was, you know, talking about their development process. And you see our machine, you know, featured in it, you know, 20, 30, 40 times, because it was that kind of critical to them being able to, to get something out the door. And especially these days, um, whether it's in a startup and, and certainly within larger companies as well, um, we're finding that our, our customers are the ones that they like their toys. So they've already got their 3D printers, their laser cutters, their CNCs, some of them have reflow ovens and things like that. Um, but uh, I think their their values res- really resonate with us in, in the sense that it doesn't hurt to have more tools in your toolbox because you, when the time comes, you need to use the right tool for the right, for the job, right? And so that's why a lot of them are saying now, oh, you know what? We've we've got ourselves covered on the mechanical side, but electronics development is really dragging. What can we do to to speed up on that on that front? So yeah, a lot of uptake from from people with that sort of mentality. Okay. The primary users are the engineers themselves or do uh, production, I guess, when you get into an OEM or a contract manufacturer um, and you're going from prototype to now bigger production runs, are other uh, hands or uh, players in the process handling the unit or is it all the work all done on the Gerber file stage? Mm-hmm. No, it's it's, pri- it's primarily the R&D engineers, the electronics engineers and things like that. And then as the as the design matures, as it uh, starts to get more finalized, uh, it's the same sort of people that, you know, at that point they'll reach out to the factories and get the board spun up over there. You know, we're not trying to, we're not trying to replace factories. We, they are fantastic at what they do. Um, they, but what they do well is high volume manufacturing. What they don't do as well is low volume. And we're the opposite. We're, we're a stepping stone to, to get there. We're, we're, we're the way that you get there a heck of a lot faster and with a product that is, uh, like I said, a little bit more mature, it's been iterated on, it's, it's, uh, it's a better product because you've had that extra iteration time. 
what design sectors seem to be the most common users? In other words, is there is there commonality, whether it's IoT, medical, transportation, what have you? Yeah. Um, so historically, we've always seen a ton from automotive, medical, aerospace. Those tend to be the industries that, uh, no matter what the technology is, they're they're early to adopt and things like that. Obviously, there's also been a steady stream of IoT, consumer tech something that we're we're always excited when we are talking to somebody that does like contract electronics design or contract industrial design because the value is just so clear to them right if they can if they can get to get a client and give them a prototype within days instead of weeks uh and then here's a couple more prototypes next week and here's a couple more after that uh it, it just it, it's a no-brainer for them so we're always happy to sp uh, speak to those folks and, and now we've actually started to see maybe over this past year more of an uptick in the robotic sector as well um we've started to see more more people working on on things that are uh, environmentally sustainable uh green tech things like that as well so i've always said it's been a it's been a bit of a, a blessing and a curse that we we sell to anybody and everybody right uh, it doesn't matter uh, what industry you're in, if you design something that plugs into a wall or has a battery, there's a use for the product. So, Has uh, Volterra aligned with any other players that are integral in the prototyping processes? What I mean by that is maybe aligning with a 3D printing company or other material players. Uh, mm -hmm. and, other, and another question is, who's responsible for the board testing when it's done? Mm -hmm. So um, once again, the electronics designer that is... Um, that's doing all the prototyping that's that's doing the design work they'll they'll do the board testing you know it's often just as simple as taking a, a multimeter or a scope to it sometimes um it's not unheard of for um you know people to x-ray boards and, and all that it's less necessary this early in the prototyping stage unless something is really confusing and and, and you need some hardcore debugging and then we like I said, uh, the customers that we sell to, they already tend to have a lot of this equipment. We don't have any kind of official uh, partnerships or anything like that, but we, we know so many of the players in the space, uh, many of the other 3D printing companies, whether on the, the plastic side, metal side, uh, or any other sort of prototyping tool. We are, you know, it's, a, uh, it's a small community. We, we all, all have heard of each other and have kind of chatted with each other at trade shows and conferences and things like that. We actually have a lot of um, reseller partners, channel partners all over the world. And um, many of them actually, they have more formal uh, partnerships where they, they'll, they'll package our, our product up with a 3D printer uh, perhaps, or um, you know they're also an official distributor of Arduino or Raspberry Pi or something like that. And, uh, and so they're selling into, into the education space to uh, you know, our product alongside those dev kits uh, in order to build off of the, the dev kit which is incredibly, incredibly powerful within a both education, but research perspective as well. Yeah. So uh, very exciting things there um, in terms of the other tools, but even on the, on the design side, right? So we've got some of the, some of the, uh, the blank boards we have and the template boards that we have, which uh, we can get into later if it makes sense. They are kind of available through uh, like Altium, for example. Yeah. There's, there's a lot that we can, we can do and continue to do with the, with the, on the design side, as well as the fabrication side. For sure. And you, you spoke of uh, getting involved at the uh, many educational institutions. And when you think about the importance of uh, getting into the mindset of the early adopters and at that level, um, yeah. that when they emerge into the job market, they take their knowledge of uh, and confidence of uh, working with the V1 with them. And that yeah. kind of 
can only imagine that's gonna be no better. of course right like it's it's a strategy that's been used time and time again uh, by so many companies is you know if you've if you catch somebody very early in their career and you build that trust with them you and you get your brand in front of them it kind of sticks right and so th that's obviously something that that's in our heads but i think what's more important to me is um so steve my my uh undergrad was in mechatronics and uh engineering right and so that's a mixture of mechanical robotics electronics software and all that um through our entire degree i had one class where i ever touched a circuit board that was like part of the curriculum and i had to walk around the class and teach everybody how to solder because that was just not a thing that was that was done the reason that i'm excited about education is we'll be able to like you of course you need the, the the theory you need the math behind everything that's happening but if you can graduate with a little bit of hands-on experience that is so incredibly powerful in order to help make you a better engineer to help make you a, pro a better product developer right and the reason that they don't do the hands-on stuff is that it takes too long you know within a within a short you know one two three hour lab you can't design and manufacture a circuit board you can't um, within a you know three or four month uh, school term, how much can you actually do if you're just waiting for boards to arrive uh, the entire time? But now, if you take a Volterra V1, for example, put it on their on their desk, the machine's the size of a laptop. There's plenty of other equipment in their labs that is far larger than that. Even if you're not necessarily giving getting them to do the design work, and you say, all right, here we've already done the design for you, or we've partially done it, you know, just add a little bit here and there, make the circuit now, also do this other stuff, and then press print. Within that same lab class, they've they've got a working prototype that they can use. They've connected the theory to the, to the practical. Um, and by the end of the term, they've done that a dozen times. And yeah, that's that's an experience that I I I can't tell you how much I wish I had that. Mm -hmm. No question. So listen, I have to ask you about supply chain issues simply because they've been imposing uh, so many challenges uh, throughout the yeah. ecosystem, not just in Canada, but globally. Um, have they impacted Volterra and how it, uh, you, it relates to the materials that are required to make a printed circuit board? Yeah, of, of, of course. So I'll, I'll talk about, I'll talk about our struggles and I'll talk about um, our customers. So for us, Thankfully, I'm so grateful for the incredible work put in by our team. We, of course, we've we've had our impacts, but it's been far, far less traumatizing than many other companies I've spoken to. So, um, fortunately for us, a couple a couple things worked in our favor. One of them was that we've got such a good relationship with many of our of our suppliers that are based over in in, in China that they were able to tell us way before the pandemic reached north america they were like oh hey we've got this thing going on over here and we're like that sounds scary and if it if anything happens we might get impacted so we started placing larger orders at that time that kind of ran us through the majority of the of the pandemic the other the other thing that uh, really um saved us was the fact that we do the vast majority of our custom manufacturing like i said here in southern ontario that's kitchener waterloo guelph uh, some parts of the gta and so uh, we're able to work with local suppliers we're not as impacted by all the the shipping delays Th that being said it, it has happened we've had you know cargo containers start costing five ten times uh what it normally does we've had um those same containers get uh, when was it uh, earlier this year when uh, Unfortunately, like every year, 
half of BC was on fire. Uh, we had containers get uh, get stopped because the railroad tracks were closed and things like that. So, no, certainly we've we've had our our fair challenges, but uh, it hasn't been nearly as bad as it could have been. We've never had to stop shipping, uh, and that's just due to a lot of uh, proactive work on um, on behalf of. Uh, of my team over here. So very, very grateful for that. Now our customers, uh, some of them have, have been fortunate as well, but a lot of them are facing very similar uh, challenges. And so, yeah, there's, there's two things at play here. There's supply chain on the, on purely on the, on the component side, and then there's uh, supply chain issues on the board fab and board, board assembly side. And thankfully a lot of our, our customers are like, you know what, we did some due diligence in the early days. We've already got, all the components we need, but we just cannot deal with five-week turnaround on board assembly. So we're going to pick up one of your uh, pieces of equipment here, and we're going to do the assembly ourselves. Certainly, some of them have issues on the component side as well, but um, I think we're all just taking solace in the fact that we're all dealing with this. Um, and it, it slowed down R&D uh, on our side as well. Uh, you know, So we've got new products coming out You know, all of a sudden add another couple of weeks into, into um, uh, our dev cycle here because a part that was available on DigiKey or what have you yesterday is all of a sudden out of stock. Um, and these things happen, but you you roll with the bunches and you you do your best to plan around it. Yeah, and we're just uh, running out of time here before we wrap. I, I do want to ask you what products are next for you and Volterra, the design teams you uh, referenced that yeah. you've got some things in the hopper. Often these things are driven by uh, what your customers are pleading for, and uh, this is how new product development comes about. Everything we do is it comes from the, the struggles that our customers are, are telling us about. And, you know, right from the early days, we've had people say, hey, you know, can I print uh, flex boards on this? Can I do like e-textiles? Can I do this, that, and the other? And we said, no, not really, but kind of, okay, maybe we can help you to like hack it to do that. But uh over the last little while, we've been putting a ton of effort into a product that's going to be released next year, and I'm happy to come in and talk way more about it uh, at that at that time. But uh, basically, there's there's a shift beginning to happen in the in the electronics industry as as we see it. You know, certainly traditional electronics, those green rigid circuit boards, and they're not going to go anywhere. But earlier we were talking about having the right tool for the job. Sometimes, or actually, you know, right now we're seeing this this shift in into the form factor of the device is starting to dictate the form factor of the electronics more and more and more, and that's the opposite of, of what we've historically seen. Where it's like, oh, you know, we can't shrink the circuit board any any smaller. We can't, you know, we can't uh, bend this board. We can't make it lighter. We can't do this, that, and the other. We can't have it, you know, be biocompatible uh, for this medical device or anything like that. And more and more, we're starting to see companies start to demand, no, this is what the customer needs to come first. This is the experience that they need to have. This is what the device needs to be, make the electronics work. And so we've got a lot of very interesting things uh, happening on the uh, flexible side, stretchable electronics, um, like I mentioned, biocompatible electronics that don't have a board, but they're just embedded directly into or onto the object that they're, they're powering. And so, yeah, there's, uh, Additive manufacturing and specifically additive electronics opens up some very, very interesting applications. And I think we're going to we're going to see a big shift in the next 10 years with uh, companies starting to uh, adopt new forms of uh, electronics within their their devices. 
No, for sure. Uh, stretchable, flexible electronic designs, no question about it. I'm seeing this stuff filter into my email uh, in basket from all around the world. So that's oh, yeah. a that's a future chat for us. And it could be in a year. Yeah. And I don't think we have to wait 10 years down the road for that. No, no. We have run out of time here, Alroy. I uh, certainly want to thank you so much for joining me here today for our conversation. We hope our listeners yeah. have gained a better understanding of the V1 uh, printed circuit board printer and all the things it's capable of doing. It's quite a remarkable product. If our listeners want to explore further, uh, you can visit the website, which is www.volterra.io. Thank you to our guest, Alroy Almeida, CEO and co-founder of Volterra. Until next time, thanks for tuning into this podcast from EPT Magazine.